Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. Hey everybody, hope you're ready now for episode 98, and my name is Naomi, your host. I have a special guest today by the name of Mike Butler. He is also a host and producer of the shows Get the Word and The English Sessions. Get the Word podcast is out on every major streaming platform. You'll be hearing in our commercial break today his trailer, of course, so that you can find his show. But Mike wanted to join me and talk about two really interesting topics on this episode. We're not only going to be talking about an artist, but also the definition of the word nostalgia. What does it mean? It's funny because the origins of it are a lot darker than I thought they were for such a light and fluffy show like this one. Um, But we'll be getting into that shortly. We are also going to be talking about a very controversial artist and what he was up to in the 90s, and his name is Morrissey. Here's a little background on him. Wikipedia moment. Stephen Patrick Morrissey, known professionally as Morrissey, is an English singer, songwriter, and author. He came to prominence as the frontman of the rock band The Smiths, who were active from 82 to 87. Since then, he has pursued a successful solo career. Morrissey's music is characterized by his baritone voice and distinctive lyrics with recurring themes of emotional isolation, sexual longing, self-deprecating and dark humor, and anti-establishment stances. Born to working-class Irish immigrants in Davy Hume, Lancashire, Morrissey grew up in nearby Manchester. As a child, he developed a love of literature, kitchen sink realism, and 1960s pop music. In the late 70s, he fronted punk rock band The Nosebleeds with little success before beginning a career in music journalism and writing several books on music and film in the early 80s. He formed The Smiths with Johnny Marr in 1982 and the band soon attracted national recognition for their eponymous debut album. As the band's frontman, Morrissey attracted attention for his trademark quip and witty and sardonic lyrics. Deliberately avoiding rock machismo, he cultivated the image of a sexually ambiguous social outsider who embraced celibacy. The Smiths released three further studio albums, Meat is Murder, The Queen is Dead, and Strange Ways Here We Come, and had a string of hit singles. The band were critically acclaimed and attracted a cult following. Personal differences between Morrissey and Marr resulted in the separation of the Smiths in 87. Then in 88, Morrissey launched his solo career with Viva Hate. This album and its follow-ups, Kill Uncle, Your Arsenal, and Vauxhall and I, all did well on the UK Albums chart and spawned multiple hit singles. He took on Alan White and Boz Borer as his main co-writers to replace Marr. During this time, his image began to shift into that of a burlier figure who toyed with patriotic imagery and working-class masculinity. In the mid to late 90s, his albums Southpaw Grammar and Maladjusted also charted but were less well received. Relocating to Los Angeles, he took a musical hiatus from 98 to 2003 before releasing a successful comeback album, You Are the Quarry, in 2004. Ensuing years saw the release of albums Ringleader of the Tormentors, Years of Refusal, World Peace is None of Your Business, Low in High School, California Sun, 
and I Am Not a Dog on a Chain, as well as his autobiography and his debut novel, List of the Lost. Highly influential, Morrissey has been credited as a seminal figure in the emergence of indie rock and Britpop. In a 2006 poll for the BBC's Culture Show, Morrissey was voted the second greatest living British cultural icon. His work has been the subject of academic study. He has been a controversial figure throughout his music career due to his forthright opinions and outspoken nature, endorsing vegetarianism and animal rights, criticizing royalty and prominent politicians, including support of some far-right activists with regard to freedom of speech and British heritage, defending a particular vision of national identity while critiquing the effect of immigration on the UK. Here's Mike Butler to join me talking about Morrissey and the origins of the word nostalgia. Yeah, so I've been listening to some of your interviews. You have had quite a draw of um, interview guests. Really impressive. It's been very exciting who we've been able to get up on the show to chat. And it just keeps growing. So I love it. (laughs) That's fantastic. What was your motivation to launch the podcast? Well, I already am on a podcast um, called L2L, Learning to Listen. Um, And I've been doing that podcast for about three years now with a couple of good friends of mine. Um, When we first started out, we were just doing like fun chat about our lives, about situational stuff. Um, It was a podcast about nothing like Seinfeld. I don't know. Yeah. And then now that we've been doing it for a while for the last year, we review albums now oh cool Um, we have guests on to present albums to us as well um so we do that but anyway so that was my first taste of podcasting and then i said uh i really love doing this so if i were to focus on something wouldn't it be cool to talk about all the music in the 90s that helped raise me you know Mm -hmm. and just Mm. on also focus on people that nobody may have remembered yeah 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 as well as a, the people who are the heavy hitters, like a bit that's of why I'm glad that you wanted to talk about Morrissey because you said that you weren't very familiar with Morrissey, um, especially as an icon of the 90s, uh, you know, popular media. Yeah. Um, well, what I know so, about Morrissey is, yes, very limited. Um, but I do know that he's no flash in the pan artist. He is probably quite legendary. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know he I know he has a, a lot a legion of fans. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like I've I've never spoken to a Brit who has not who doesn't know who Morrissey is. Mm-hmm. You know, but I feel like I've definitely talked to Americans who were either like, who's that? Or I don't really know any of his music. Or Where like are that, you from, they, Mike? I am uh I grew up in upstate New York. Okay. So and you're up in Canada, right? That's right, Western Canada. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Are you in British Columbia or Alberta? Um, Alberta. That's right. I knew that. Yeah. Um, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, Morrissey was pretty important to me, like in my teenage years. But before that, I hadn't really heard of Morrissey either. So mm. I was born, I was born in 88. And I, I've been reflecting on nostalgia all day today. But yeah. I was thinking like, he was definitely an icon of the 90s. I was doing some research. The only time he was nominated for a Grammy was in the 90s. I think for his album, Your Arsenal, which was 93. Um, but 
I was obviously way too young for that, you know, that period of Morrissey. But it is what I started exploring once I got into Morrissey, like his late 80s, early 90s stuff was like monumental to me mm-hmm. as a teenager. Um, well, that's what and- I find is when you're first listening to the artist, when you first discover them in general, if you're that interested in the music, most you will dig into the back catalog. Yeah. yeah. You don't really see people just start halfway through their career and ignore the, what got them there. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And you don't look much older if, if you're at older at all than I am. So is that a lot of your nineties nostalgia too? kind of like reflecting back on music that, um, came out even before you were listening to it? Is there that kind of layer to your nostalgia? My nostalgia is primarily based on when I got to choose music for myself at what age I got to do that. And that's where most of this nostalgia lies. I am 42 years old. So I was born in 1978. Oh, wow. Well, you look, yeah. you definitely look young. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's where it's kind of centered for me because it wasn't until the late 80s and until I was picking my own music, yeah. making my own choices that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that, may, that makes sense. Okay. Hence the Tiffany album on the wall. That was the first record that I chose for myself. But it's on the wall because she signed this one. She came to Edmonton and did a little show. And yeah. that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's so. great. So, ha- have you been able to meet a lot of artists in person uh, that you've been interviewing or before that? Not in person for the interviews. Yeah. Um, this whole Zoom world we live in now has been beneficial towards doing the interviews. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I have met some of my favorite celebrities, absolutely. That's when great. they've been on tour or throughout here, if I can, if I can swing it, I, I try. <laughs> I got to see Morrissey in uh, Vermont. Oh, wow. I think it was Burlington. Um, and I met, I, I met a few suede heads outside of the show while we were waiting in line. I guess those are his diehard fans that oh. follow him around. Yeah. The suede heads. Um, and I, I have to say he was very uninterested in the whole performance (laughs) that seems to be kind of his mo though he's just like let's get through this um but it was still pretty memorable i get the impression that he's very aloof Mm -hmm. yeah big time that you know there's just like this mystery around him and um Mm -hmm. but i don't want to skip over anything i actually did take a lot of notes for well good the interview and i don't i don't want to um take over too if you had any questions i would I'll ask questions as I go, but you're, you are the expert on this episode. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I, and we, we agreed this can be like a great kind of crossover because mm-hmm. um, I did some research on the word nostalgia itself. So mm. I figured, you know, to tie into my etymology podcast, we could talk about the word and what I found as well. I would do love wa- that. I would yeah, love do that. You, do you want to start there then? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, basically, first of all, I want, as I welcome you to the show, the show started, we're <laughs> going to tell you, uh, Mike Butler is here and he has his own podcast. And I'd like you to tell our listeners what that podcast is focused on. And then we'll go from there. That's a great idea. Um, so I've been doing it for just a few months now. It's a podcast on etymology called Get the Word. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't released an episode in the past few weeks. I've been on vacation. And, uh, but I have a whole list of, of ideas to cover and it's been, Mm. 
individual words. Like I think I did crow at some point and it's given me an opportunity to, um, you know, trace, trace back the, the roots of words, but also just find little nuggets of interesting, uh, history around a word. I, I, I went into the, the, in the episode about Crow, I went into the Crow Indians, uh, the Crow Native American tribe, mm-hmm. and um, and why they were called that, and how it was like a bastardization of a of a, an existing word, if I remember correctly. Um, but then I was able to talk about the tribe a little bit, and mm-hmm. like recent recent efforts um, within the tribe to try to keep the language alive. Um, so it's been a great opportunity to to just kind of do some deep dives on on individual words and, and pluck out little, um, interesting nuggets. Um, I did, and then I've been doing phrases too. So I did one on, uh, the phrase ships passing in the night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it comes from a Henry Wadsworth Longfellow poem. And mm-hmm. I was able to f- figure out that his family has a really long queer history that dates back since like the, the days of, uh, like, the, like since the 1800s. Um, and there's just like generations of openly queer uh, folks in, within his family. Um, and, and it's all documented and there's like a house you can visit in New England. Um, I, I wouldn't have known anything about that if I just wasn't curious about, you know, how, where did that phrase come from? Ships passing in the night. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, and it's an offshoot. This podcast is, is an offshoot of... Uh, a podcast that I've been doing for like a year and a half called the English Sessions, which is uh, a podcast for English learners. So, oh. yeah, that's that's how it started. Like I started it on the English Sessions, thinking I should make some content for more advanced students. Mm-hmm. But then I realized like this is really more for like advanced students and native English speakers. So mm-hmm. I decided to make it its own podcast. But every episode still has um, an audio transcript. So if, 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 if a learner is listening to it, um, they can still read along if, if they can't understand exactly what I'm saying. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah. That is amazing. You must've done really well in school with English. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember if, if I was like a, a, a star student in English, I think my, um, the one class that I remember doing really well in it kind of being like the teacher's pet was, uh, earth science, mm. but it. I think it's because the the teacher and I connected. He was in like this gothic punk band back in the eighties. And I was I was in punk bands when I was a teenager. So like we connected over that. Nice. Um, But yeah. Are you a music you're a musician yourself, right? I'm a singer, yes. And uh how long have you been playing for singing? Well, I put um my first music together actually at probably around the age of 10, 11, 12. It was 12 cool. was the first time I was in a recording studio. Um, yeah. Actually, the theme of Dope Nostalgia is my song that I recorded when I was 12. So it's really pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe at the end of this episode, I'll let the whole thing play. That's <laughs> so, a great idea. I'd love to hear I it. I haven't done that. Yeah, okay, sure. I'll do that. Um, but I was in a hard rock band for over uh, 10 to 12 years, more, maybe longer. Wow. Um, disbanded. What's the name of the band? Six string loaded disbanded probably about three years ago. It was probably about a year before the pandemic. Okay. And, uh, yeah. It, we had an amazing time together. We did a lot of great songs, got to see some cool places and have good shows. It was quite the experience. So that's then I got into podcasting. 
Yeah. <laughs> Not as social. Well, in certain ways, I guess you're interviewing all sorts of people, but mm-hmm. it's been hard, you know, over the internet to have that same kind of connection. Do you, do you yeah. miss being on stage? That kind of just raw energy and, you know, yes. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it's definitely missed, especially when we spent the last year and a half by, you know, just in isolation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of things were missed. That's definitely one of them. But uh, I'm I'm happy now. I don't know how how are things going for you now? Are you are you much of a social going out type of person? No. And I don't know if you have friends who, who were saying this throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, they I've. I even said it myself, you know, Hey, Hey, I'm an introvert. So this is perfect for me. But (laughs) as, as time passed, I realized, you know, um, that the danger of being an introvert going through something like this is that you can just completely disappear. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think there's, there can be negative mental health effects of that. And I, and that's exactly what I did. I completely disappeared. I sold my, my house in the middle of the pandemic in Arizona, which was like my last big attempt to, um, be involved in like a arts and music scene. And that, that disappeared, um, during the pandemic. So I just sold my house and and I bought a house in the middle of nowhere in Kansas, just because property is incredibly cheap here. (laughs) And I've just been like focusing on, um, fixing up this house, planning to sell it eventually. Um, That's amazing. So now you're a Midwest fellow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot more conservative than I, it's more conservative than I expected. I shouldn't say a lot more because of course, Kansas is a very Republican state, but Mm. I just didn't realize it was so deeply red. (laughs) Wow. But it's, it's been okay. What about Alberta? Politics there are kind of conservative too, and kind of mixed though. I'm probably not as deeply conservative as You're correct. I mean, a conservative government led our province for 40 years um, over like the 80s, 90s or some beyond. Right. Um, For a very brief time, they went in a more democratic left route. Um, But then the last election we had was went back to conservative and the Mm. current conservative government we have. um, I don't really want to state opinions too strongly, but they need to go. (laughs) <laughs> they need to go. Um, they, the, the pandemic has not been handled well, uh, no. from what I, from what I feel, um, yeah. by our provincial government. Um, we've had outrageous numbers in COVID due to that. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And the cuts that they've made have really hurt Albertans. So that's just my opinion and I'll, I'll end it there, but yes, it's a very conservative place. Yeah. Well, I feel like Canada's um, conservative party is, is almost, I mean, compared to our conservative party, it's, it's more like our democratic party or the, you know, our mm-hmm. left party. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I was researching Canadian politics. I was researching the hell out of Canadian politics because I was one of those Americans trying to move to Canada um, ah. in a couple, like a year and a half back. But yes. um, I was impressed that there, it isn't as much of a two-party system up there, right? Because there oh. is, there's, there is more of like a progressive, um, more like Bernie Sanders type party that has some influence, right? At least in like British Columbia. Yeah. That's where 
the three part, well, we have more than three parties, but there's three main parties Four, if you're considering Quebec, because Quebec has their own party as well. And they're actually quite heavy in our parliament. Um, There's quite a few seats that belong to them. Um, It's great having the fact that there's more options, but it's bad because we never get a majority government when election time comes. Mm. Um, You don't have, like you have your official opposition to, to the leadership, but in order to make real change and real progress, you need to basically have a majority government. Our parliamentary Mm. system is like England, right? So, um, Mm. so there's room for change. And we also believe some out West here that the division of seats in the house of commons isn't exactly um, in the Western, in Western Canada's favor because it's population based. So most of the population of Canada is, is around, Ontario, Quebec, right. And closer to the border um, where, so we don't have as much representation when we vote. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of that factor. And it's funny because like, there's a lot of important things that help this country that come from Alberta, BC, Saskatchewan, Mm. Um, you know, a lot of the industry, a lot of the industry in Canada and a lot of the money and the equalization payments across the country come from this region. So that's, that's been an issue of contention too. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty, we should start our own politics podcast. I've never wanted <laughs> About the to. American and Canadian. <laughs> I know. I usually nah, steer just, clear of politics, um, yeah. but this has been a good moment to kind of speak about it for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, do you want me to get into my research that I did on nostalgia? Absolutely. Okay, I want to people about the word nostalgia, right? Yes. So let's pick it apart. I use a um, couple main sources and then I usually kind of branch off from there. But one Mm -hmm. of the big ones is edamonline.com. And this is something that they said that I found on a couple other sites that it it, it comes from the 1700s. And um, often you can't trace a word specifically back to one person. But Mm -hmm. apparently you can with the word nostalgia. So let me read this. Um, 1726, quote, this is the first definition of nostalgia. Morbid longing to return to one's home or native country. Severe homesickness considered as a disease. Um, (laughs) Quotation and quotation marks. And they pick apart the word from modern Latin coined in 1688. Okay, I thought it. I thought it said uh, 1726, but I don't know what that date is. But somewhere around there, it says 1688 in a dissertation on the topic of the University of Basel by scholar Johannes Hoffer, who lived from 1669 to 1752 as a rendering of German, uh, a German word that translates to homesickness. Mm. So. And I, and I found that from other sources. So the, the original use of nostalgia seemed to be much more like what we use now as homesickness. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be very much like in a, existing in the medical realm for quite a while. And well, I, when, in, in mental health? Yeah. Wow. Mental health and then the, 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 the um, physical effects of um, homesickness on the body. Because mm-hmm. there was, um, I was reading something about, let me see if I still have that source pulled up. There was, um, okay, so that, that person that I mentioned, Johannes Hopper, um, 
had a frequent occurrence uh, with Swiss mercenaries who were in the plains of the low, of lowlands France and Italy who were pining for their native mountain landscapes. It says, and I believe there was, you know, some war as there was plenty of um, back then. And mm-hmm. it was something, I read something about how he, he came to this conclusion after um, kind of noticing that this homesickness was kind of like a layer of um, how sick they were. Like they seen, he found this correlation between like how, how, um, how easily they would heal mm-hmm. um, compared to how much or how hard it was for them to heal compared to how much that they were going through mentally with homesickness. Um, and that kind of makes sense. If you're longing for your home, you feel like you'll never get back. It's like having that sense of, you know, that, that will to live kind of being, you know, just mm-hmm. drained from you. If you're just so far from your homeland, from your family, mm-hmm. um, it makes sense that that would be a layer of, 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 you know, your sickness of how well you heal. So I, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. What was interesting to me with this definition is I've never looked at that word as a negative connotation to it. Do you know what I mean? I've always felt more, it was, yes, there's the longing there, but I feel like it was a longing for a time that might've been better in your life, a time that um, influenced you the most, a time that you have fond memories of, um, Nostalgia is interesting, I think, too, in the fact that you ever think about the past and our senses um, as as humans, it's amazing what touches off memories, like sense, smelling something. Yeah, yeah. That has been the most fascinating to me, because if you smelled like a perfume that you wore in like the late 80s, it just takes you right back Mm -hmm. there. Song Mm -hmm. lyrics Mm -hmm. can do that. Um, It's just... um, amazing how the human brain works. <laughs> but um, I'd like to think that the word nostalgia now doesn't have such a negative connotation. And I don't really know if it would be as directed about mental health as it would have been then. Well, depending on how much time you have, I'm free for hours, but I'd, I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to pick that apart because I, it's something that I think about quite a bit. And you, you've seen what's happened um, in my country uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in recent years, in the past half, half a decade. Um, there's this rising kind of sense of nationalism and, you know, a certain demographic feeling like their world is take, being taken away from them as they see changes in society and mm. they're, they're, they're fighting back, you know, like there was an insurrection at the Capitol building. And yeah you know, past January. And a lot of those people are um, trying to hold on to, I, in my opinion, like this nostalgia for, um, well, I'll, I wrote this in my notes. There's a song from um, Jello Biafra and Mojo Nixon called Nostalgia for an Age That Never Existed. Mm. And, and I could, I could, I don't, I'm assuming that Jello wrote the song because it's very much about like punk rock back in the eighties in California. And it's very much directed to, to his experiences. But I, I think about that song a lot because I, I think that idea is really strong, at least here in the United States. Mm-hmm. I'll say it, you know, of like boomer white men who are, who, who grew up thinking 
that like this was there was nothing wrong ever and it was like we everything was perfect and and maybe for them it was for them. Mm. exactly but also like it was being shaped as well by i by what was coming out in the media at the time um like you know shows like leave it to beaver or whatever it created such a false reality that i imagine is very much all wrapped up in and their nostalgia now as as they're aging and they're seeing their kind of like power being taken away from them mm-hmm. you know no wonder they they they're fighting back because if like what i'm sure for a lot of them they feel like what else do i have mm-hmm. god this country was so great and and now it's not <laughs> for me or something for like that them. you know which is not mm-hmm. even true in almost every every way in every aspect of of society and like medicine and like things are better now especially also oh, not yeah. especially but also for white men like for everybody for in everybody, many ways yeah. you know um, that's very interesting it, yeah. it's like they these boomers that live their lives with their blinds they're blinded their eyes blinded to yeah. the the poverty and the racism and everything else that other people suffered because everything was great for them that's crazy yeah 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 and now it's actually like a you know um part of the national discourse mm-hmm. and they don't like it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. they want to go back to like I, and i think of like the 80s and 90s i grew up thinking that racism was over because i watched the cosbys on tv because like black people on television were everywhere and um i didn't seem at least in my clouded you know, mind as, as a kid in a very white area growing up, I didn't think that there were racial issues going on. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not to say that the Cosby's didn't have those episodes where they talked about racial tension or, you know, there was, or like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was, they had those episodes too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, like I, I didn't grow up with diversity right. um, outside of a city that's still to this day, very segregated. Um, just being, being told, well, just don't go over there. And, and so like, not, it wasn't even until my twenties when I even started like thinking about, you know, issues of how much privilege I have and and race and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, and I don't want to blame, um, the television. I want, I don't want to blame like the images that I had growing up that looking back, like I have such a rose tinted a view of, of all of that. Um, mm. And now I find it, you know, I, <laughs> I'm getting off track, but I was thinking about like the nostalgia around television, I feel is very different than nostalgia around music. And I, I, I listen mm. to some of your episodes and, and like you, who you're interviewing, it is a very diverse group of people. Um, and and it's like so much more can come out of so much more good. I feel it can come out of that kind of nostalgia around music than TV and movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think with TV and movies, it's kind of like listening to the radio where everything is directly pointed at you and you have no control over what's being streamed into your house. Yeah. Um, but yeah. with music, you have a little, you had a few more options um, and music was different cultures had different music that influenced them. It wasn't just the top four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the nice thing about the music and the ability to talk to everybody is, yeah, I'm getting to talk to people who lived all kinds of lives. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, not all kinds of perspectives. Um, and it's been nice to have that shown. And there's a lot of things that we didn't know that these folks were going through. Right. And they, they're Good able point. to express them on the show 20, 30 years after they happened. Yeah, especially if like if they're artists that were just on MTV or something, all you saw were music videos. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's a great way to to really um go into some of these people's minds when um mm-hmm. when I guess all that we see is one very specific side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you get to get a little more knowledge about what was happening on the inside of things. Um I know this isn't exactly relating to what we were saying, but one of the biggest issues that I've learned about over the last year talking to people is how awful record companies were mm. to their mm-hmm. artists, mm-hmm. you know, and um, yeah. they can do a lot of damage or they did to a lot of people's uh, careers or mental health, to be quite honest, but I imagine. Um, yeah. But um that was really interesting to see and see how now we do things. It seems like quite differently in this age now that people can market themselves. But um, yeah. I know that's digressing from the whole point of nostalgia but uh, and the definition of it. But um, yeah, I don't look at nostalgia as a, as a negative thing, um, especially during the last year and a half we had. Everything just kind of lined up the right way to do a show like this because we were stuck in quarantine yeah, and yeah. I felt myself yearning because we couldn't make any new memories. Not really. You yeah. couldn't go out and do anything. So I felt myself yearning for a time that brought me happiness and joy yeah. and thought I was going to do this podcast anyways, regardless of when the pandemic came up, hmm. but it just hit right. It hit right. And it, it, I think it meant more to me. Um, to get reinvested into the artists that helped raise me on my musical tastes. So I don't see it as a negative thing um, to be nostalgic. Well, that's good. I, I need to hear people say that to me. And like, I could, I could look back in my notes and, and bash nostalgia some more by looking into, oh, it's by not pick, picking apart, <laughs> um, picking apart every, um, the two parts of the word. But um, before I do that, because I I think it'd be interesting if you didn't know, you probably do, um, like the etymological root of of each, uh, the um, syllable, I guess, of the word. No, I don't. Okay, let me me go over that real quick. (laughs) Um, It's somewhere in my notes. Okay, if we take apart the word, it's um, the first part of it, or no, the second part is from Greek, algos, that is pain grief, distress, and then combined with nostos, which is uh, translated as homecoming. Mm-hmm. And um, it does reach all the way back to proto-Indo-European roots, which are really hard to, I mean, once you you trace a word back that far, it's hard to know exactly if it's translating correctly, but it, it does trace all the way back to Euro, <laughs> proto-Indo-European roots, um, these these components of the word. So there is also um, a translation of uh, a similar uh, prefix, a neomai, that translates to reach some place, to escape, to return, to get home, or from the um, Proto-Indo-European um, translation, to return safely home, 
Old Norse food for a journey. Um, there's even a Sanskrit Sanskrit connection um, that translates to just approaches or joins. German, um, a German old word that uh, translates to to recover, and then a Gothic um, word to heal, and Old English to recover. All of these words have similar etymological roots, mm-hmm. and those are all different words that are now translate that we could. All those words in English are what we can translate those as. Um, so there's always been this kind of uh, sense that there's a negative aspect to it. Hmm. And but with that said, I'm right there with you because it's podcasts like yours have gotten me through the pandemic, kind of reaching deep into the nostalgia. Um, I also listen to um, an, a, a podcast called The Greatest Generation which picks apart um, Star Trek, the next generation, uh, episode by episode. Do you listen to any of those recap uh, 90s podcasts? I I have listened to the one about the show, The Office, and I've listened to The Sopranos one. Cool. Done by people who are on the show, both shows. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been noticing that a lot of people have been doing that Mm -hmm. lately. Yeah, like I, an episode by episode breakdown kind of thing and, mm-hmm. and their perspective on what was happening. That's very cool. Another one I listened to is, Are You Afraid Of? Are You Afraid of the Dark? Do you remember that show? <laughs> I remember the title, but I never watched it. A very Canadian show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was big on Nickelodeon here, but a lot of it was filmed up in Canada. Yeah, I think but, it was on YTV here. That was our Nickelodeon. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I'm right there with you. I just feel like just like every topic period, there's, there's so much nuance to it, so much gray area. Um, I do think a lot of people are walking around, around with these rose tinted glasses of their past thinking life was better back then. I think there's a lot of danger to doing that. Like the good old days. It's not. It almost prevents you you from, this is where I think there's a danger if you're letting it prevent you from making a future or making new memories, or mm. if you're, if you that, if you're too embraced and living in it too strongly. Mm. Or if you have a political candidate whose slogan is make America great again, very dangerous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe that's why I've been so negative and nostalgic because mm. of what we were talking about with those white male boomers. Um, no, and I get it completely. And that's the thing too, nostalgia for different things. Nostalgia politically sounds dangerous. Nostalgia for music, uh, not so much. Because <laughs> there was some great music in the 90s, right? Yeah, and- but maybe it's holding me back from listening to new music because oh. I'm, I've always wondered why, if it just hit me at the age of 30 where I didn't want to listen to what was new anymore and I was just kind of stuck in what I love already. Um hmm. But I, I've become one of those people that the new stuff on the radio, I'm like, this is garbage. When I was your age, music was good. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, that's kind of who I've become. But there's exceptions to that rule. There's people who put out music now that I still like. Anyway. I was thinking I was thinking about that recently, too. Like, I agree with you. And I don't know if it's just because I'm even I, I'm only 33, but I'm reaching that age where I'm like, ah. You know, I, I feel like an old man, like uh, music is on the radio is crap now, but yeah. um, 
what you were mentioning earlier, the landscape is completely different now. Mm-hmm. And there is tons and tons and tons of great music coming out now, but it's not on the radio, right? Yeah. And a lot of those people who are listening to that kind of music are gave the middle finger to the radio a decade ago or more. Yeah. And so who's left? Who's left to listen to the radio? Like before it used to be like everybody was consuming music music that way. Mm-hmm. So let's let's appeal to all sorts of different people. But who is radio appealing to now is what I and who's left over, you know? And it That's a very good so. question because terrestrial radio is not popular with teenagers. Um, hmm. Hmm. a lot of people don't even own radios in their houses anymore. Those who listen to a subscription service like Sirius XM already have in mind what exactly they like. Right, right. right. Um, I would use a subscription service like that to listen to, say I want to listen to Octane because I wanted to get into some rock. Then I would be able to maybe hear something new that I would like. So I hmm. would be preferred to go down that route. Um, and then you, if you're wondering the 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 youth of the future and the ones making the big stars, where are they getting their music? I think they're getting it from YouTube a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause YouTube stars are, are huge. I don't know who any of them are, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. kids love YouTube stars. Um, I don't know where else they would be learning about the new artists. If yeah. they're not listening to the radio. Yeah. The landscape's completely different. And then mm-hmm. I, I imagine, like, I don't know too many people in commercial radio anymore. That was mm-hmm. my background um, for a while, but mm. um, I never worked at a commercial radio station. But I almost wonder if, if, if it's like reverse now, instead of the radio being able to tell people what to listen to, they're, they're desperately, you know, getting on YouTube and TikTok or whatever and trying to like, oh, we got we to keep up with all this uh, other media now. Mm-hmm. To even just stay alive and make a profit. True. Yeah, it's it's wild. And then there's just viral. like there are <laughs> so many great bands with tons and tons and tons of talent. And and the only reason that millions of people don't know about them is because maybe they they have a really strong fan base, but there isn't just that one radio that everybody gathers around anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can be a very good thing. There's I would say too, because the radio is a sign, a representation of the old school where the record company ruled all. Yeah. And you were just because saying they earlier were the ones how, controlling what you listen to. Yeah. How terrible that was for artists. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So this is technically a better, we have more choice now more than ever. It's better, but then it gets so overwhelming because you don't, there's so much content yeah. But you don't know what to choose. And it also allows for a lot of lackluster content to be out there. You kind of have to sift through a lot of garbage <laughs> to get to the yeah. gold. Um, yeah. but Which a lot of people don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's always been like that. That like those are the kind of people who want to just be told what to listen to, I guess. And maybe that's that radio will always exist because of that like some sort of just like here it is here's what is popular and i say so you will like this (laughs) (laughs) there'll always be people who just want that after these messages we'll be right back 
Guess what, friends? I have a new voicemail number just for you. Give us a call at Dope Nostalgia. Our number is 780-851-8785. Leave us a message. Pick up the phone just like you used to in the old days. Remember before text messaging? Yeah, we used to actually call each other. If you just want to be heard and be on the podcast, give us a call. Once again, our Dope Nostalgia hotline, 780-851-8785. Pick up the phone. Remember, this number is Canadian, so long-distance charges may apply. It's Mike, your host of Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. We'll talk about the history and origin of words in English. If you're coming over from the English sessions, well, then I'll give you an even bigger welcome, loyal listener. The English Sessions is the podcast I've been doing for a while now for English learners and and is where Get the Word was first conceived. I decided to make Get the Word its own podcast since I started to realize I was making content more for native speakers with these etymology episodes, which seemed to warrant its own feed. Don't worry, though. For those of you who are English learners, there will still be transcripts of the episodes on the website. Look for details in the show notes. Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Where are you? Right here. Look what Kmart's got, an RCA CD audio system. How much? Only 137 bucks. Let's hear it. Save more than $50 on this three CD system with remote this week at today's Kmart. But judging by the fact that um, the artist we're going to talk about today, I don't think he's much of a radio character, is he? Now, he's popular, very, very huge fan base, but I don't think of him as like mainstream. I would go or- as far as to say that he is an icon in the UK mm-hmm. and he has had chart topping hits or like near the top of the chart. Um, I might actually still have that window open. If not, I can, I can pull that up really quickly, but um, yeah. and um, you know, he was nominated for a Grammy, but what I basically know about Morrissey is very, very limited. I know that he was the lead singer of a band called The Smiths, who mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, were big in the 80s. Um, I know basically his reputation precedes him as being, like I mentioned earlier, aloof. Um, doesn't seem like the friendliest person. No, no. <laughs> um, I don't know much about his actual music itself because i've never really listened to it i mean i've heard it in passing i've heard it when other people have had it on but i've never actually invested my ears into listening to his music because it never appealed to me that much mm. i don't mm-hmm. know but i'm very fascinated about hit what you're, you're going to tell me about him especially in the 90s because i don't know what he was up to and i think well, we probably have some listeners that are fans he 
started his solo career, um, I want to say 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And, and okay, uh, early solo work, 88 to 91. And right off the bat, um, those albums, those early albums that are, he released as a solo artist got a lot of attention. And, you know, he had the music videos and um, I, I don't remember ever seeing Morrissey on MTV growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could have been, um, you know, like some of the videos that they would show at like two in the morning or something. I, I don't even remember if, if MTV signed off in the nineties. Um, <laughs> but I guess I was a, a bit too young to remember, but I just know that he, he was huge in the UK and, um, let me look at this section for awards um, the Brit Awards, mm-hmm. I, I'm not very familiar with, but I'm assuming that's not. Um, I've watched them. I've watched the them. Other. They were always aired okay. on Much Music here in Canada. Um, Much Music being somewhat similar to MTV. Um, I knew Much Music operated on an eight-hour uh, show a day with three, like three rotations. Hmm. So when you were talking about MTV ever shutting off for the day, okay. I, they might have done something similar. I don't know. Do you know um, the the GAFA Awards, G-A-F-F-A? I've heard the term, but I don't know what they are. He's been nominated for that twice. And um, okay, the NME Awards. Do you know that what that stands for? New Music Express. I believe that's a magazine publication. Okay, okay. Because they they love the hell out of Morrissey. I don't know where Ah. that's published, but... um, Dating back to eight from 80, 84 to the latest was 2006. He was given a bunch of awards by that magazine. He said it was a magazine. Best songwriter, best mm-hmm. dressed, best haircut, best male singer, most wonderful. Okay, this one's interesting. Most wonderful human being. And he, he won that award several times. What? And what I what I want to get into today with Morris, uh, the, the, the research that I was doing today, I want to highlight how much of not a, of a wonderful person he is um, <laughs> with a lot of his, his public statements that he's made. Mm. Um, I don't know if we're ready for that yet or if you want more Morrissey background. Let's go into um, the background and then we can get to that point um, just so that people have a little more information on him. Okay. Um, so he is still a recording artist. Mm-hmm. And um, my favorite album of his was late 80s, Bona Drag, um, which I don't think was a studio album. I think it's kind of, it was more like a compilation album or like unreleased song album. I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was the album that had a huge impact on me. And he, he writes a lot about um, just being depressed and... Mm-hmm um, moody and, and, and his, his lyrics are often very, um, kind of like cryptic and, and, and I guess more poetic than, I mean, if, if you consider him a poet, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people would, would say, you know, he's a hack poet. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of division within like the people who, I guess we're around, his music growing up a lot or, or, or still is, I, 
again, I don't know. I'm assuming it's pretty different in the UK and people probably have stronger opinions about Morrissey there, Mm -hmm. but he seems to be a very divisive figure in his politics and opinions, but also just with his music. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll talk about, he'll sing about, you know, how much he wants to cry and all these, like these different lyrics and, and his, his sexuality has also been uh, a mystery very much too is his public persona. And I think he enjoys that. He enjoys like not really telling the the press about his, if, if he even has a sexual life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of his, one of the things about him that um, drew me to him and was definitely one of the influences on me coming out finally as mm-hmm. a queer person myself mm-hmm. is that even though he, I don't think he's ever publicly stated that. Like you just listen to his lyrics and they seem, he seems to have this confidence in talking about more delicate things um, that would label, would end up getting him labeled as, you know, a, a queer or whatever, or talking about crying or being emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, you know, he said, fuck this. I don't want to, I, I don't care what, people think about my lyrics and he still very publicly states that all the time and he's very like anti-press and you know Mm anti-media um and then also he was a big influence on me um as a vegetarian and i've been i've been meat free most of my adult life and he like if one of the few things that people know about Morrissey if they're not even familiar with his music is that he was a strong animal rights advocate mm-hmm. um, with his song meat is murder. It's probably the, one of his most famous songs along uh-huh. with um, how soon is now, which was, if I remember correctly, the how soon is now music was the background music for the MTV uh, news show. And oh, I, really? well, that was, that was the Smiths. Both of those songs were the Smiths, but Meet is murder and how soon is now um, I am the sun and the air of a shyness that is criminally vulgar. You you would know that song if you heard it for it's sure. It's going to be one of those yeah. where you hear it and you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> it is the song that everybody knows. Um, but that was the Smith. So that was before his solo work. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, meet is murder and even going to his concert for that song, like typically you want to have a good time at a concert. Right. And Morrissey is, is like, I don't fucking care if you have a good time. <laughs> and so he, during that song and it's a long song and it's all about um, how he thinks, you know, a lot, there are like these atrocities going on um, within factory farms uh, and how we treat animals and how we um, uh, consume animals as like mm-hmm. a, as just like any other assembly line kind of product. Mm. And so for the entire, the entire song, he just, they pulled down a projector and he just projected images of uh, animals being slaughtered at slaughterhouses. <laughs> and um, I, I feel like these are the kind of images that people need to see. We don't have to go into my politics, but um, like a, there are a lot of reasons why he was such an important figure to me growing up. Mm-hmm. Um and then something about just the very unique sound that he has and the way he shapes his songs um, 
really spoke to me. And if, if you were to label it as anything, I guess back in the eighties, the Smiths were like doing this kind of post punk. Um, it wasn't really new wave. Mm-hmm. It was something that they were shaping themselves that came out of those days of punk rock in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and then his nineties stuff and, and his stuff now, especially his stuff now, I guess you can just kind of label it as like generic rock. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how, how I would label his newer stuff. Um, he has a very unique way of singing and that mm-hmm. that's why I can't really label it. It's not, it's not operatic, but he mm-hmm. almost sings very like, um, like he reaches down deep and, and he can really project his voice. And, mm-hmm. um, my parents just think he's nasally. I remember trying to, for my 21st birthday, we drove all the way to Las Vegas. They thought I would love going to Vegas. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, well, we get to listen to what I want to listen to in the car then. And I remember my dad having to turn it off. He's like, oh, you're so whiny and nasally. <laughs> so, not for everybody, but um, that is how I would describe Morrissey, I guess. Do you think... Um... He's stronger as a music writer or as a lyricist? That's a good question because I honestly don't know how much help he has actually shaping his songs, writing the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the framework of the, of, of the songs. I, I used to think that he was a poetic genius and now I almost cringe mm. listening back to some of his music. And listening to his newer music, it, it almost seems like he's given up on, um, I don't know, trying to, I, I think he used to be able to, you know, reach somewhere deep inside himself mm-hmm. and, and pluck out these, these pithy kind of, you know, like little, um, um, almost like lines of, of poetry. And it, uh, even back then, I'm sure it seemed very pretentious to a lot of people, but now it just, it just doesn't seem like he's trying that hard and he's almost trying harder now to just offend. Ooh. Um, and it's, it's kind of ugly sometimes in some of his newer music. I wish that, you know, I, I fully support people being creative lo- late into their careers. I think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing to, that if you can still be writing and performing, please do. But sometimes I'm just like, Oh, but the music you're coming up with now, is just, <laughs> yeah. Can you just yeah. stop? <laughs> yeah. 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 Might be one of those cases, but in his mind, he might think that this is the most brilliant work he's ever done. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all the power to him then I guess, because still tons and tons of people are listening, yeah. um, but, but he's alienated a lot of people recently. Are we ready to get more into his? Let's do this. <laughs> well, this be um, great. before I do, I want to say that I was afraid that the research that I was going to do today was going to kind of put me off of him entirely for a while, mm. because I know that he's been taking some really strong stances, like anti-Islamic stances and very like really? nationalistic politics stances. Yeah, I'll read you some quotes. Whoa. Um, and I've been trying to just. I thought that this was something that we could talk about too that would be really interesting is separating the artist from the music. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've had to do this. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, because some people are monsters. I'm not saying that Morrissey's a monster, but mm -hmm. you can write beautiful music or incredible music with a lot of talent, but still be a really shitty person. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has been with some people, it is a battle to listen to their music again in the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's it to separate the human from the art can be quite difficult. But sometimes yeah. the songs are so impactful that you're just like, I can't let the song go though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I listened to the Boner Drag album a couple of weeks ago cranking it all the way my partner she was so patient with me she just let me she's like okay he's good i get into these these moods i guess where all i want to listen to is morrissey and i'll mm -hmm. just crank his favorite albums of of or my favorite albums of his and just sing as like another thing that i enjoy about his music is that his register is very close to mine mm -hmm. and i can really sing exactly what he's singing and it feels good coming out of me yeah, you know, um, and yeah, it's a weird feeling uh, being so conflicted with the artist himself now. Mm -hmm. um, but let let me look at my notes um, about what I wrote down about about him. Um, okay, so I have, I I I how much time do you have? By the way, just um, I think curious. we can probably go. I'm looking at about 20 minutes or so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Let's do it. So I, I want to read a few things from this uh, article that I found from a website called distractify.com. And it was an article about uh, Morrissey and all this controversy around him. Have you heard of a um, political group called uh, For Britain? That's just what it's called, For Britain. No, I have not. Okay, so this is a little bit about it. So as politics in Britain grew even more divisive with Brexit, Morrissey spoke up. He wasn't just pro-Brexit, but he was pro-for-Britain, which is a far-right satellite party led by uh, somebody named Anne-Marie Waters. Mm -hmm. In 2019, Morrissey wore a for-Britain pin on his appearance on The Tonight Show, further cementing his political stance. Not only is for Britain extremely Islamophobic, but they are staunchly anti-immigration and anti-Black Lives Matter. Uh, quote, while Morrissey's strong support for of, of for Britain is just one nail in the coffin, it's basically equivalent to being a diehard Trump supporter. This is somebody's opinion, I guess. Um, I don't even know who they're quoting here. I should have written that down. Mm -hmm. But um, I can send you all these show notes, too, if you want. And I'll sure. have them up on the... Um, on the uh, get the word page once uh, I publish it. Um, okay, so equivalent to being a diehard Trump supporter, even though he's he's come out and he has some quotes, public statements saying that he's very anti-Trump. He thinks Trump's a, a, a buffoon and dangerous person. So weird uh, that he would say that, yet his beliefs seem to fall in line with that ideal. Well, it it just it it highlights the nuances of you know, political issues around. Maybe he like, likes the ideas, but he doesn't like Trump as the figurehead of them. It's, it's astonishing to me that anyone outside of the United States, even within the United States, thinks that Trump is great. But <laughs> like, I feel like you can have these nationalistic right wing poli uh, politics anywhere else in the world and still be like, oh, that guy's such an idiot because he. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think that's how yeah. far detached from reality my country's politics are. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, right. But 
so he, he's definitely taking taken these um, right wing stances. Let me finish this quote. It's basically equivalent to being a diehard Trump supporter. So naturally, it's not too surprising that he's made other spotty remarks throughout the years, like positing, quote, so this is now a quote from Morrissey. Everyone ultimately prefers their own race, unquote, as well as raise railing against the Me Too movement. And and that was something I read today that makes me want to just like be like, I got uh, can I really listen to Morrissey anymore? Um, Because even if I'm just listening to Morrissey on Spotify or whatever, he's still getting my penny Mm -hmm. every time I listen or, you know, like it's. Oh, you a, just, you're having a dilemma whether or not you want to support him financially in any way. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. true. And that's how streaming music works now, right? They, yeah. you know, they get their percentages. So anyway. Um, wow. I thought I didn't care for him before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so I don't have you. So I've describe to you my internal conflict around all this. Have, have you ever dis, um, felt this way about any artists? Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one. Oh my God. Cause he, his music is so good. <laughs> I've always wanted to believe he was innocent, but sometimes yeah. it's really, it's gray. It's so gray to, to know um, how many people were legitimate or just trying to exploit him for money. Yeah. He yeah. didn't leave himself in a good place to look good or innocent in any way. And, but then there's a part of me that also feel bad for him because though he, he was, he went through the body dysmorphia and all these things because of how he was treated by his father. Yeah. 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 Um, he, he would have probably been a quite a different human being if he hadn't been abused the way he had. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I can I've, I'm now at the point that I can separate whatever Michael Jackson is as a person from his mm. songs. Cause his songs are just too good. Like yeah. his artistry was just above and beyond. And now I'm okay with just being able to listen to the tunes and not worry about who he may have been. Yeah. You know, well with Michael Jackson there, there's that, there is that element of the, the, the cycle of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he went through, I mean, he seemed like a very broken person. Yeah. Um, and I guess if he did what, you know, he he was accused of doing, there's no excuse for that. No, none. Um, but I don't know. There is that element, whereas Morrissey is, he's, he's probably never taken back anything he's ever said. He's the most like pompous, arrogant person. And that makes him easy to hate. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. But, is there is there anything that Morrissey's known for for doing in a positive light for his career or for <clears throat> humanity or has everything always been so much of a arrogant negative? I guess to him it's positive because he thinks <laughs> his right-wing extremism is a good thing in his eyes, but um yeah. Yeah. And and I mean he's he's endorsed uh animal rights groups and hmm. um oh of course I, okay I, I, yes he, the animal he, things the animal things and hmm. um i well let me let me look at this section of his profile the animal rights advocacy but he has intentionally um kind of stepped away from the limelight and has has, has always been a very 
um, private person. So I don't mm-hmm. think that he's um, really put a lot of effort into too many causes, mm-hmm. I guess. But he's def- he was definitely um, an important person for me to, in my life, to, to focus on um, animal rights issues. Um, but let, let's see, the animal rights advocacy, he's a supporter of PETA, and PETA is really controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily a huge PETA supporter myself. But um, it's not what they stand for. It's how they go about doing things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And I've, I've found some information on their website that I don't that I feel is very biased, a very one sided. Um, mm-hmm. But but anyway, so uh, I'm reading through this like, yeah, I don't think he's OK. He's made like a lot of public statements, you know, about um, against seal hunting to, mm-hmm. to, to. OK, maybe you'd find this interesting because it's about Canada. Mm-hmm. In 2006, Morrissey refused to include Canada in his world tour that year and supported a boycott of Canadian goods in protest against the country's annual seal hunt, mm-hmm. which he described as a barbaric and cruel slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reading the rest of the paragraph. Nowhere does it mention, you know, the uh, First Nations uh, take on, on those things and like cultural uh, um ways of looking at it that he seems very blind to mm-hmm. um, um so. the seal hunt isn't something that i've looked into much because it's just the whole idea of clubbing a baby seal just kills me inside i hate it i hate it i don't understand it but that being said i don't understand it because i've never looked into it ah yeah i mean but it's the boycott the whole country because of that He takes he takes those extremes. And then there is that element that most of of that that's happening is within indigenous. uh, uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like they've been doing it for a long time. It's part of their culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why we need somebody who's indigenous on the show to discuss. Yeah. 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 So he, he seems blind to, in my opinion, his stances seem very typical of a, uh, a white man of privilege of massive amounts of privilege. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, baby seal clubbing is terrible, but to boycott an entire, like these diehard fans of his up in Canada, they just had to, like, they didn't get to see Morrissey because of that issue. Yeah. Like even the people who are very like animal rights advocate kind of folks in Canada were just given the middle finger by Morrissey. It's like, what the hell? You know? I think there's a lot of country who have their issues. Many, almost probably every country has negative things that happen, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. or things that you, people may not agree with politically or morally. I'm sure that happens all throughout the world, but to, then you wouldn't have a world tour if you had to boycott every country for what practices exactly. you don't agree with. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I know we don't have just endless amounts of time, Um, Mm -hmm. but I did want to get to the point that you made also with Michael Jackson, that, um, the media is spinning the way that we see people in the public eye, um, to the point where like, I'm sure it was devastating for somebody like Michael Jackson and to give Morrissey his, um, like he, he's, he's always saying that the media is doing that about him. And the, what I read to you was from an article 
where they were pretty much saying that he's a Trump supporter, despite the fact that, or he's like the kind of person who would be a Trump supporter, despite the fact that he seems to be more of a complicated figure than that. Yeah. Um, but because it seems like his stances um, don't necessarily coincide. Like he has, I think he seems quite unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I wanted to read a couple direct quotes mm-hmm. about um, him. Okay. Or I mean, from what he said. And so about being called racist, he says, when someone calls you racist, what they're saying is, hmm, you actually have a point. I don't know how to answer it. So perhaps if I distract you by calling you a bigot, we'll forget how enlightened your comment was. Ooh. Right, exactly. So that's terrible. And so... Um, like he he's saying, oh, the media is making me out to a monster. But if these are real quotes, I guess I wasn't there to to know if he actually said this. But they're this coming is, right out of your mouth. This is Morrissey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is from a news uh, source uh, in the UK, and I'll I'll link to it in the show notes. So like, if somebody wants to fact check some of these quotes, but mm-hmm. um, on Theresa May and and Islam, he says. Um, Let's see. Oh, no, no. Okay. So he has strong opinions on halal meat in the UK. And he says, if you, if you have any concern for animal welfare, for example, you cannot possibly vote for either conservatives or labor because both parties support halal slaughter, which as we know is evil. Furthermore, halal slaughter requires certification that only can be given by supporters of ISIS. And yet in England, we have halal meat served in hospitals and schools. Well, I'll practice it. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that the same way that Jewish meats are prepared? I don't know if it's just, is it strictly Islamic preparation? I don't know. I'm actually not sure. Because with the Jewish um, kosher thing, it's blessed by a rabbi or something. Yeah. Okay. And halal meat is prepared um, as prescribed by Muslim law. Mm -hmm. So again, like I think his I would have to fact check Morrissey and his, Mm -hmm. his, his statements are just always to the extreme. I guess when, when there was a, um, uh, a mass, uh, shooting or I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was in Norway back in 2011, Mm -hmm. he makes, he made a statement that uh, is as follows quote, that is nothing compared to what happens in McDonald's and Kentucky, Kentucky pride shit. Every day is, is how he phrased it. So he has like these strong stances, like why give um, compassion to other humans when, because of what we do to animals. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's like these kind of ideas that I grew out of years ago. And so to, um, I don't know, to put a button on this, I feel like I, I'm growing out of Morrissey and yet he's still mm-hmm. holding on to like trying to offend everybody that he possibly can. Um, so he has a very similar stance on things with animals and PETA as Brian Adams does. Brian Adams, the recording artist. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, um, the treatment of animals and such, um, because there were some things that you quoted and things I read here that very much in line with how Brian Adams believes as well. Hmm. But I, I did, feel I like didn't as know. humans, yeah. I feel like they're very different. I imagine. Yeah. It's hard to compare anybody to Morrissey. 
<laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I'll send you Absolutely. I'll send you all these notes right now before I forget. Um mm. there's a, th this is from a list of 35 controversial quotes. Oh my goodness. Um so I just I sent he those He makes to my you stomach now. tense. This guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I imagine after this then next? you'll you'll never be a fan of the Smiths or Morrissey after this, I'm well, sure. I mean, the genre is based on punk rock roots, right? of the music yeah. if we talk about the music again i've yeah. never been a big follower of punk rock music myself mm. um but it is a genre i respect and it's very important to to music in general um yeah yeah and obviously it's very important to you because you played in punk music bands and yeah yeah, yeah. so when you, when we talk about him to the end of this um, as a musician, what were some of the best works you think he did in the era of the nineties? And maybe we can play some clips. Oh yeah. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you, I guess like, um, you've actually paid for like the ASCAP BMI kind of music have, rights. We have an organization um, in Canada called, <laughs> which is SoCan. SoCan is the same idea as ASCAP BMI. Yeah. Okay. Well, if anybody's listening to this interview and get the word, then you'll have to go over and listen to the dope nostalgia version for sure. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I did mention how soon is now mm -hmm. and meet is murder. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to play some of those um, clips uh, of mm -hmm. those songs. And then some of my favorite tracks on Bona Drag. Um, let me pull it up here so I'm not mixing up. I want to make sure I'm not mixing up any of the... Oh, okay. Ouija board is great and one of my favorite songs to play around um, Halloween. <laughs> and why... Okay, Bona Drag is compared, uh, considered a compilation album. Is that and 80s or 90s, though? That was officially... Okay, so Bona Drag came out in 1990. If you want okay. to really stick to the uh, <laughs> 90. I will give you some of my favorite 90 songs. Ouija board for sure. Interesting drug. And um, uh, every day is like Sunday. Of course, that's the, that's the solo song that most people would know. And you'd probably recognize that song too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Possibly. Okay, excellent. The, uh, yeah. So those those are my recommendations, I guess. If somebody wants to actually get into Morrissey after this interview, so yeah, no, um, it's just like separating the whole separation thing, right? The, the man from the music, because um, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people still enjoy his musical work. It's funny when you're talking about the NME awards; these categories are insane. Have you seen these? Like you mentioned, best dress, best haircut. As most wonderful human being, I got what? What is the Safe Sex Award? Oh, I don't know. I I, I didn't look into it at all. Hero of the Year, hottest man. This is hilarious. That's these are hilarious. Like there's a um, Smash Hits in the UK is another magazine mm. that uh, has like most fanciable male. Oh my god! <laughs> is is NME from the UK? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it because it's not, I don't think it was available here in Canada. Not, not in my heyday of buying magazines. No, I, yeah, it, it kind of looked vaguely familiar, but I, yeah, I never read it either. Okay. Mm -hmm. One more song to, to make sure that it's 
solidly in the 90s. I want to say Sing Your Life, because it is one of his songs that does have a pretty positive message. It's just like Sing Your Heart Out kind of message. And that was solidly from the 90s, from his album um, Kill Uncle, which came out in March of 1991. So that's a good idea. Well, that way we can play the last song on the show um, of Morrissey's as a positive way of going out. Perfect. I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that, Mike, before we wrap up this episode? No, other than that, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad that it worked out. Thanks for your patience with me. I know I had to move the date. Oh, that's okay. Um, you were incredible. You, oh. And you brought so much knowledge and I'd love to have you on the show again, talking about another artist, maybe somebody who's a lot more positive. Sure. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> I'd no, love to. We'll, and we'll do something different. And thanks for the opportunity and for the great podcasting. Oh, and I wanted to make sure that we direct everybody once again to your podcast so they can, uh, get involved and become a listener. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. No, it was a blast getting to know you too. So same. yeah. Um, well, you're welcome anytime here in Kansas. Oh, thank you. The door is open. <laughs> on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia. Instagram, dope underscore nostalgia. Or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.
Yeah, what's up, sleep? Yo, my girl just left me, and I don't know what to do. Well, why don't you tell me what happened, man? All right, check this out. Let me think of a way to tell you how I feel about this. One girl try to just me, they try to get on my love list. Just leave me, don't play that game twice. Yo, D, I think I need a friend's advice. Think of who I can ask that thought of you. If you were in my shoes, what would you do? I would take you slowly up first. I wouldn't bust, cause complaining of worse came to worst. If she really loves you, she'll wait. And if things start to happen between you, that's great. With this girl, there ain't no ifs, ands, or maybes. I think that you should be her 